Welcome to Women on the Line, a community radio national women's current affairs program produced at 3CR Community Radio in Melbourne and broadcast on the Community Radio Network. I'm Emma Hart. Land rights is actual rights to land. The fact that we... (laughs) The fact that... The fact that people can buy properties in this country and pay a land tax, but it's never gone to the traditional land owners is just astounding. When, when is that share of the wealth? Because the wealth is in the land. The land tells the stories. The land is where we come from. You know, <laughs> land rights is, is crucial to a decolonised Australia. Women on the Line acknowledges that this program is produced and presented on the land of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nations and that their sovereignty was never ceded. We acknowledge their elders past, present and becoming, as well as the owners of the land on which you are hearing us from. This week on Women on the Line, we bring you excerpts from a special NAIDOC Week edition of Feminism in the Pub, Because of Her, We Can, presented by the Victorian Trades Hall Council. The panel discussion took place on Wednesday, July 4 at Trades Hall and featured speakers Celeste Little, Moraine Muller and Robin Oxley. We open with panel chair Edie Shepherd. So, you and Yadi Edie. Uh, my name's Edie and I'm the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander organiser here at the Victorian Trades Hall Council. And uh, welcome to the black takeover of feminism in the pub and it's deadly to see you all here tonight. And I introduce myself to you all as a proud Wiradjuri and Baladung woman whose lands include the Blue Mountains in New South Wales and Noongar country northeast of Perth. I come from an area of serpent dreaming, which can be seen in the deep, clear lakes, swamps, and freshwater rivers that run through my countries, both of them, fun fact. I acknowledge my great-grandmother, Betty Garlett, of whom my grandfather, Douglas Belford, was her third. Betty was just one of the many women who experienced the full brunt of the viciousness of colonial onslaught, being separated by her family and her country as a young girl. And I acknowledge my mum, Alethea Belford, who is actually here tonight and gonna kill me. (laughs) Love you, mum. So the NAIDOC theme this year is Because of Her We Can, and it's it's pretty special. Uh, So this year we explicitly acknowledge and celebrate the role that Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander women play within society. And I also think that while NAIDOC week is a celebration, it's really important to remember and honour its roots in political protest. 1939 saw the very first day of mourning. Held on January 26th, the 150th anniversary of the beginning of the British invasion and occupation. Over time, that single day of recognition in January became a full week in July and has since become the NAIDOC week that we know today. And Staunch is surviving an attempted genocide. I say attempted because we are still here. Staunch is surviving an attempted genocide for 230 years. And it's a very... (laughs) And as a very, very dear friend of mine always says, basically, like, she ends every phone call I have with her on this, our existence is our ongoing resistance. That spirit in 1938 is alive and well today, and that spirit should always be present in our NAIDOC Week celebrations. For time immemorial, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander women have carried our dreaming stories, songlines, languages and knowledges that have kept our cultures strong and enriched us as the longest and oldest continuous thread of human culture on this planet. Black women were there at the point of colonial impact that day in 1788. 
We were there at the Torres Strait Islander Perlers strike in 1936, that day of mourning in 38, the 1939 Cummeragunja walk-off, the 46 Pilbara Stockman strike, 65 Freedom Rides, Wave Hill walk-off in 66, and we were there on the front lines of the Aboriginal tent embassy in 72. Huge moments in our modern history that is often told in a way which centers men and forgets women. And we are right here, right now, in ways that defy your definitions. We are more than just your daughter, your sister, your auntie, your mother, or your grandmother. We are militant, we are warriors, we are thinkers, we are leaders, and we shape First Nations and settler communities alike. And I may be biased here, but I think that it would be remiss not to acknowledge our young women. So many fierce women in the warriors of the Aboriginal resistance, Seed Mob, Tarnine Onus Williams, Nayuka Gori, Aretha Brown, Tasha Jago, and so many more front and center of our movements, protecting country and leading the resistance. And one last thing before I throw over to the deadly women up here and get going on with the night. I often think about the fierce black matriarchs in my family. Betty and Mum, it's because of you that I can be here with all of the privileges that have been afforded to me, strong and proud in my culture. But tonight and every day, I dedicate myself to the black women who every day survive and resist the onslaught of colonialism, racism and sexism. All those who came before me and all of those who will come after. It is because of us that we can. So, I'm going to throw over to the deadly women to the right of me to introduce themselves because you're not here to hear me yammering on. Over to you. I'm not used to being on the right of anyone, to be honest. <laughs> if you want. I'm Celeste Little. I'm an Arunda woman um, from Central Australia, and Arunda is my only mob. Um, I'm a bit unusual with that, where three of my great grandparents were actually Arunda. It's a very big part of the country. But my family are the Littles on, on um, my grandfather's side, and the Perkins is on the other. Um, I'm the National Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander organiser for the National Tertiary Education Union. I'm an opinion writer social commentator, and a whole heap of other things. So, yeah, that's me. So, uh, my name is Robin Oxley. Uh, I am a Tharawal woman from southwest Sydney. I was born and bred in Minto, or Minnow, as we like to call it. Um, <laughs> deadly place to be. It was a great place growing up. I moved to Melbourne about nine years ago um, and very welcome here in NAM, so thank you for that. Um, I'm at Monash University as an assistant lecturer in criminology. Uh, my um, field is on Aboriginal affairs within the criminal justice system and predominantly aimed at inclusion. Uh, and that's pretty much all for me. So my name's Maureen Muller, I'm 23 and a proud Rajri and Palawa woman. I'm a qualified drug and alcohol, mental health and youth worker. I grew up on Wurundjeri land in Melton and currently take a few different roles for jobs. Um, swimming teacher, project manager of the Deadly Race, um, Aboriginal mental health first day facilitator and then work in community as well with our young people. So that's me. So not much at all, clearly. Heaps of spare time. <laughs> Heaps of spare time. 
All right, so I might um, throw out the first question. And what I will say about the questions is, and you'll see some um, mob around who'll have a chat to you later. Um, so Feminism in the Pub is organised and run collectively. So the Feminism in the Pub crew uh, do everything from having a chat about the theme to the questions to the panellists, the whole shebang. Um, so all of these questions were really built in a collaborative way, which is super exciting. And the first one is... So it's NAIDOC week. Um, what does this week sort of mean to you, particularly with this year's theme celebrating us as women? Celeste Little. Um, I, I guess for me, so what NAIDOC means for me, and I'm sorry, I'm just a bit gobsmacked at the crowd. I try to take a photo before, but I think I'm going to have to pano that. <laughs> um, <laughs> But yeah, NAIDOC week for me is about the resistance. It was what you were talking before about the, the radical roots of it because it is from the day of mourning pro um, protests. And when you think about um, the Victorian contingent of that, one of the things that I've always had um, living in Melbourne for such a long time now is an extraordinary amount of respect for the movements, the radical movements that have come out from Victoria and the leaders that this place has spawned. And they've always been up there front and centre all the way up to today where we've still got these massive Invasion Day rallies going on. Um, but that that day of mourning protest with, um, with, you know, people like William Cooper, who was an elderly Aboriginal man who um, is not only recognised for the day of mourning protests, but was also, um, he was also a, a delegate of the Shearers Union, so you've got an Indigenous unionist there. Um, he was also recognised by the Jewish Commemoration Society, I think it was, for, for, for leading one of the um, only private protests against, against Kristallnacht. So him and um, others marched to the German consulate in Melbourne to deliver a petition protest the German treatment of the Jews during the beginning of all of that. So you had this man who had a lot of integrity. He'd moved to Melbourne because he was, um, he was in his 70s and the only way he could get the aged pension as an Aboriginal man was to live in the city. And while he was here, the amount of work that he did in his later life was just extraordinary, um, culminating in setting up the Aborigines Advancement League or the Australian Aborigines League or the various names that it's been known as um, over the years anyway. Um, yeah, setting up that space so that there was always a place where where things could be discussed, where we owned, where there were things going on. Um, and Marge Tucker, so she was also a part of that indigenous woman who was also a communist, you know. <laughs> there were these extraordinary people feeding into this movement. And over the years, from the day of mourning protest, it became the National Aborigines Day. And then in, 90, in the 90s, the National Aboriginal and Islanders Day. The day turns into a week. Um, from that, you know, what was quite a radical sort of call to attention for the rest of Australia, the recognition of um, citizenship rights, the, rec the recognition of our own human rights and so on and so forth, has ended up becoming partly that history but also partly a bit of a celebration of culture and resistance. And for me, this theme this year about recognising because of her we can actually recognise is that Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander women have borne the brunt 
of colonization in this country, you know, every single way it's been about controlling women, whether it was taking their children off them or controlling who they married so that they didn't breed in various ways or whatever else. Women have kept the stories alive, they've kept the families together and therefore making them front and centre of what is our week is timely and pretty extraordinary, particularly 80 years after it first happened. Robin Oxley. Um, I think NADOC for me, uh, being in Victoria, you guys know how to do it, honestly. Um, I think Tarnine put something on Facebook or Twitter about how um, NADOC's too good to have for one week, so we've got to have it over two weeks. <laughs> and soon it's going to be 52 weeks a year, which is just going to be yeah, amazing. We're decolonising the year. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> And that kind of really resonated with me, and I thought, 52 weeks a year, we get our voice out, and we get to say what, what our knowledge is and what our culture is, and we get to share it. And storytelling, truth-telling uh, is all part of you know, moving forward as a nation and getting our voice in Parliament with the Uluru Statement. All of these, this, because of her, we can. It's all encompassed into one, and if we can do it 52 weeks a year, that would be absolutely deadly. Um, I think it's also an open platform, I guess, for Aboriginal people and services that are available to Aboriginal families. Sometimes you don't get the message out or it's hard to get access to these services. And NADOC Week, or the two weeks in Victoria, um, they really pushed for events that are happening, you know, all about it on Facebook, you know, all about it on social media, and you see it everywhere. So it's a really good, I think, bit of an opening as to what services are available for Aboriginal people, and women, people in general too, but mostly us. Um, I think I've got two young girls, I think, for this week. Uh, they don't get a huge amount of exposure to Indigenous culture and knowledge. So for this week, I get them out. They get to see um, all about what Victorian Aboriginal knowledge is, uh, engage in it, and it gets entrenched inside them, and then they start asking those questions. And that's what you want. You want the younger ones to ask the questions so that we can answer that and we can guide them into the right path and keep this knowledge going down, passing it on to generation. Um, it's also this huge buzz about Night Up Week. I don't know what it is, it just puts a big smile on your dial and you, off you go and you know what you're doing. You've got the Night Up Ball, you've got the crowning, you've got um, lots of different events at Vars and VACA and it's, everything just comes together and um, I think you just can't help but be excited and it's just infectious and I think next year is only going to get bigger and better and as we go on um, over the years, I think it's, it's, we'll eventually get to that 52 weeks a year, I think. <laughs> Moraine Muller. I think for me as an Aboriginal person, being around other young people that aren't Aboriginal, they don't understand the fight that us Aboriginal people have to take. It's not a nine to seven job or nine to five. Um, we're fighting day in, day out for not only respect, but for the understanding of who we are as people and what we encompass as people. And for me, I honestly, like, NAIDOC Week's like a massive after party. It's like you fight all year and then it's this one week a year where you all come together and celebrate what makes us us. And for me, it's also having the wider Australia acknowledge NAIDOC Week. It says that we matter as people. And I think a lot of the time it feels like to people on the outside, we don't always matter. You do like an acknowledgement to tick a box. You know, they do have to tick a box in workplaces for culture, but having NAIDOC week, it means that we matter as people. And in terms of 
the theme because of her weekend. I think for the first time in a long time, it shows a change. It shows a change that they acknowledged the role that women play in our lives. It acknowledges all they do um, and all the work they have to do every day, I guess. Um, the women in my life, um, they've had to put up with a lot of sacrifice and I think that whether you're Aboriginal or you're non-Aboriginal, women sacrifice a lot for their kids, for their community, for their families. And because of her weekend, it shows that, yeah, we are someone, we're worthy, and it also acknowledges all the unsung work we do, I guess. And I think for the first time in a long time, it's saying we as women, we fought hard, but now we're flourishing and we're finally being recognised for what we do. And I think that's really powerful for all women, Aboriginal women, but also to our young ones to say, you know what, you matter. And there's a, there's a shift and saying, you know, we're people, we do just as good as the men do, and we have time to be recognised and stand proud as women. On community radio around Australia, you're listening to Women on the Line. We're bringing you excerpts from a special NAIDOC Week edition of Feminism in the Pub. Because of her, we can. This is panel chair Edie Shepherd. And now for my probably favourite question uh, of the whole set. Um, what does a decolonised Australia look like to you? <laughs> <laughs> We're going to be here all night. Yeah, I think so. Celeste Little. Oh. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, the, the magnitude of that question, my goodness. <laughs> I, I mean, my starting point is always that Australia doesn't actually exist without the erasure of several millennia's worth of history, people, culture, and so on and so forth. Because the, the Declaration of Terra Nullius... Um, the, the idea that this was land belonging to no one and that this was the basis that the colony of, you know, what was Australia in its first iteration? That initial declaration that allowed people to establish a colony and the fact that the, the consent was not sought as Lieutenant Cook was directed to do, because he was a lieutenant there, no matter what you're all taught in school. <laughs> It was a captain later, but yes, <laughs> not then. Um, the, the fact that that consent with the inhabitants was not sought as it was supposed to be, and then a colony was established on that, and then a constitution was established on top of that, all of those things exist through the erasure of several millennia worth of history. So for me, the decolonised Australia, or you know whatever it ends up being, because Australia is also a borrowed word, and we've got so many hundreds of nations that existed here anyway, that it'd be great if we acknowledged them as well. Um, the, the decolonised Australia would be a place where, where there'd be a respect for that history, where people would actually know that history, where, where you know, laws wouldn't be continually implanted upon a group of people in, a, in order to further disenfranchise them, like the Northern Territory Intervention or the Community Development Program or the stolen wages and all of the legislation that led to that, the stolen generations. I mean, 
there's been a series of a series of legislations that have been passed from a colonising power onto original peoples, and that's the sort of thing that we need to stop. We need to actually, through a process like a treaty or an agreement-making process, come to the table as equals, negotiate how we're going to coexist with that respect for that much history and that much culture and the retaining of that much history and culture and, and everything else. Um, how we're going to incorporate all that into what is actually an identity for for the nationhood. I yeah, these are all words that I find deeply uncomfortable, but work out how we can use all that knowledge and history and culture in order to move forward to a healthy future where there is that recognition, where people do know whose land they're walking on. They do know the various languages. They, they, they can identify various landscapes and the stories that are contained within those landscapes. And there's always a respect that's going on. Right now, we don't have any of that. We've got a regime that's essentially been implanted upon upon a group of people, whether those people liked it or not, and the thought was that those people would die out. Yeah, sorry, that wasn't a clap. That's a devastating moment. <laughs> Robin Oxley. Um, I think for me, my research um, right now builds on peace building um, in Australia. It's never happened. It's never been a concept uh, adopted by the government. Uh, so we need a bit of truth and reconciliation, I think, happening. You know, until we have that um, in our country, we'll forever be in conflict with each other. We'll never have an equilibrium. Everything will be imbalanced. And we always seem to be on the bottom with that. Um, so until we get some truth and reconciliation happening and peace building, uh, we need to despair the, the conflict between Aboriginal and non-Aboriginal people, mainly so the government, but, you know, I wasn't going to point them out. We need to share stories, so we need memorialisation. So massacres did happen. All of these stories need to be told. We were forcibly removed. Um, our ancestors were forcibly removed from their families, from their land. You know, we spoke about stolen wages. Um, I, I can't, it's too much even to talk about it because it's um, quite, it's, it will choke you up. Um, Stolen generations, everything that the, all these things that have happened, all these policies that are targeted at Aboriginal people, and they continue to target us, and, and we continue to be marginalised in our own country. So until we share the stories, until we have memorialisation, we have um, history. In ed, like our education is actually displayed with our with the correct history. Um, we talk about these things. It's, it's never going to, nothing is ever going to come about as a positive change. Um, so I think that's like, that's key. We need to use peace building. It's worked in other countries. There's no reason why it can't work here. Yes, it's in retrofit, but still, we can still apply it here. A few more simpler things are about decolonisation, what, what, what it would look like in Australia. I'd actually like to see a bit more, like some more towns back to their original names. So if I say oh, I live in Nam, everyone will know that that's Melbourne, which would be awesome. Street names, all the like simple things, I'd like them to be back to what they were. There's all lots of um, special places that some communities hold dear to them. So I want to return the name to them. I think that would be uh, an amazing step. Uh, in education, because I do work at a university, 
the delivery of lectures and tutorials, we need to decolonise education. It's ridiculous. It's a one-way... It's, it's very uh, mundane. There's no um, flexibility in the learning. So if we can decolonise the education and, and change the delivery mode, so education is not just a definition. It actually means something, and we can decolonise that. That would be um, another, I guess, bonus to what Australia would look like as a decolonised nation. Moraine Muller. I want to just say, I get so bloody confused. You have, like, the politicians, and they do, like, oh, we got an Aboriginal person to do a welcome, and then, like, they acknowledge that we're Aboriginal people. But then when it comes to colonisation and changing the way that Australia runs, it's like, we're nothing. And I'm like, I don't know if I'm a young person, I've got a different brain to you, but I get so confused <laughs> how they run. But, yeah, decolonisation... I think we need to, like, as you said, acknowledge our history. Um, Australia needs to acknowledge our history. What happened, the good, the bad, the ugly, the extremely ugly. And, yeah, recognise the culture, but also celebrate it. Um, I think, as Aboriginal people, we should have a say on how Australia runs and use our elders. So in Aboriginal culture, the elders have the lessons and the teachings. Traditionally, you know, if there was an issue, you'd go to your elder. And there's, I don't know if you guys have heard of the Koori Court. Um, it's where Aboriginal young people, I'm not sure if there's adults as well, I'm not a pro, but can go. And they can only go to the Koori Court if they plead guilty. But then when you're at the Koori Court, you have an elder that um, chooses what sort of action is going to be taken and it shows the success rate is massively high but obviously the, the person has to plead guilty and I think it shows there how well the elders can discipline and influence the way that that runs so I think elders should have a much higher say in a decolonised Australia about how it runs um, the justice system needs to be turned around like we make up a small percentage of Australia, but over half the percent of um, people in the justice system and Northern Territory, I don't know if you guys saw it, Aboriginal people make up 100% of the people in the justice system. Like, doesn't even make sense. Um, cultural time in workplaces. So as an Aboriginal person, there's like, sorry, business, but there's also celebrations and working in like some white organisations it's really hard to explain how my culture affects me and is a massive part of me. It's almost like I'm too white to be black, but I'm too black to be white, and that seems to give them an excuse onto why it's, it's not important. Um, I think high representation in government. We have amazing Lydia Thorpe. But I think if we can get to a place where we acknowledge the past and we come together and... No one's ever gonna agree on everything, but I think the best way forward is to do it with respect. It's pretty basic, treat people like you'd like to be treated, put yourself in other people's shoes. And I think if we can do that as a whole, Australia would become a lot more decolonized because as Aboriginal people, we respect each other, yeah. And I think if we have like the values Aboriginal people hold and try and put that into Australia, it would be a much better and much more decolonized Australia. That was Moraine Muller speaking at the Nadoc Week edition of Feminism in the Pub, Because of Her, We Can, presented by the Victorian Trades Hall Council on July 4.
For more information, you can visit unionwomen.org.au. And that's all for Women on the Line today. Women on the Line is a community radio national women's current affairs program. It's produced and presented by a range of women broadcasters from 3CR in Melbourne and broadcast across Australia on the Community Radio Network. We greatly appreciate financial support from the Community Broadcasting Foundation. We welcome your comments or thoughts on today's show, so send us an email to womenonthelion at gmail.com or phone 3CR on 03 9419 Women on the Line programs can be downloaded from our website 3cr.org.au forward slash womenonthelion. The theme music for Women on the Line is Slideshow at Free University by La Tigra. I'm Emma Hart. I hope you can tune in again next time. <laughs>